So friends, as I've been saying throughout our uh, Gospel of Mark readings, and as I'll continue to say, I encourage you to pull out your Bible now and turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7. And we're going to be picking, off, picking up where you left off last week with verse 24. And please remember that at the end of me talking about this gospel passage for a while, there will be space for you all to reflect back an insight, a word, a verse, an insight that you're having that you are going to take into your week. So now before we begin in chapter 7, it is helpful in this middle block of the Gospel of Mark to remember which Jesuses we've met so far, which will inform the Jesus moving forward through the rest of the Gospel of Mark. So in chapter 4 of the Gospel of Mark, we met Jesus the teacher, and you'll remember that had a lot to do with teaching in his pulpit on a boat. He was talking a lot about seeds and growth and light. And then in chapter 5, we meet Jesus the healer, and you'll remember he was healing the man with the mental illness who was living out in the tombs and then healing the woman who had been hemorrhaging. So we met Jesus the teacher and then Jesus the healer, and that brought us to chapter 6. And in chapter 6, we met Jesus the prophet. You remember, he was the one who was in his hometown saying, a prophet is without honor in his hometown, and sending out the disciples on their missions with very little belongings. That was chapter 6, Jesus the prophet. And right in the middle of chapter 6, there was a little bit of a shift, and we went back to Jesus, the miracle worker. And that was when he was feeding the 5,000, and he was walking on water, and he was healing more and more people. So we'll remember we met Jesus the teacher, Jesus the healer, Jesus the prophet, and Jesus the miracle worker. And then last week, you heard from the beginning of chapter 7 about this tradition of the elders, and a bit more about Jesus confronting this idea of what is clean and unclean, pure and impure, and so we heard about that, which was the beginning of chapter 7, and now we're going to hear the middle and the end of chapter 7 here, and I'll invite Chris up to read that for you. Mark chapter 7, 24 through 37. From there he set out and went away to the region of Tyre. He entered a house, and he did not want anyone to know he was there, yet he could not escape notice. A woman whose daughter had an unclean spirit immediately heard about him, and she came and bowed down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile of Syrophoenicia origin. She begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. He said to her, let the children be fed first, for it's not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, sir, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he said to her, for saying that, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. So she went home, found the child lying in the bed, and the demon gone. When he returned from the region of Tyre and went by way of Sidon towards the Sea of Galilee in the region of Decapolis, they brought to him a deaf man who had an impediment in his speech, and they begged him to lay hands on him. He took him aside in private, away from the crowd, put his fingers into his ear, and spat and touched his tongue. Then looking up to the heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And immediately his ears were open, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. Then Jesus ordered them to tell no one. But the more he ordered them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. 
They were astounded beyond measure, saying, he has done everything well. He even makes the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. That's the end of the reading. Will you pray with me now? Holy, holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight for you, O God. You are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. So, the middle of chapter 7, we have this verbal exchange between Jesus and the Seraphonician woman. Um, speaking about her daughter. And then at the end of chapter 7 that Chris just read to you, we have this man who is deaf and has a speech impediment, and there's this exchange of healing between Jesus and this man. So let's talk about this woman first. And uh, let's begin with a little bit of a a, uh, wondering exercise. So the start of this section talks about Jesus um, trying to escape. Let's see what the exact words are. It says, Jesus is trying to escape notice. It says, yet he could not escape notice. And I wonder, why is he trying to escape notice? I wonder if you've ever tried to escape notice, because I know I have. And for me, when that is happening is when I am extremely tired, and all I want to do is go home, but I have to stop at the grocery store on the way, and there's a chance that I could be spotted at the grocery store and I'm so tired and I'm not my best self and I just am ready to go home. And that's what I think about is that sometimes when people are trying to escape notice, it is because they are tired, they are not their best self, they are trying to rest, they are trying to retreat, and yet something happens on the way to that retreat. And so I wonder when you all may have tried to escape notice and I wonder if there are certain feelings attached to that idea And I wonder if those were the same feelings that Jesus was having. How did Jesus feel in that moment trying to escape notice and yet being seen and found out anyway? So Jesus is not ultimately able to escape notice. And this woman, she approaches him. And she is a woman who is a mother. And she is a mother who is fearing for her daughter, demon-possessed. And so she is intensely motivated. And so if you are somebody who has children in your life who you care about very much, you might know how that woman feels. She is intensely motivated to access this healing that Jesus can provide. But we have to think about who she is in society. She is the wrong gender, the wrong race, and the wrong religion to be approaching Jesus so boldly in that social context. And yet she does anyway. And so she is a woman who is extremely courageous contextually, extremely bold, and yet she approaches Jesus out of this great compassion that she has for her daughter. She approaches Jesus in this boldness. She approaches Jesus, and that is a really big deal. And so there is a professor at Southern Methodist University who says this, and her name is Elise McKenzie, she says this about this woman and how she approaches Jesus. Perhaps her courage comes from the fact that she is approaching Jesus not for her own sake, but for the sake of her child. When we approach Jesus, whether in petition or in intercession, is the good for others in our minds and on our hearts. I think that's a pretty interesting way 
to think about this boldness and this courage and what motivated her to transcend social status for a moment and have that courage to speak to Jesus, that she's doing so out of this compassion for her daughter. And so once she approaches Jesus, there is this verbal exchange that is really troubling to many scholars and readers of the Bible. And so this exchange happens. And I want to just think for a moment, this is an exercise in wondering also, what if the exchange hadn't happened? And we just went straight from her saying, my daughter is demon-possessed and I need her to be healed by you, to Jesus saying, go, your daughter is healed. That would be more in line with what many think Jesus has been doing up to this point, that when people ask him, he heals. But that's not what happens in this story. Instead, he is asked, and then there's a healing, but in the middle, there's this really troubling verbal exchange. And so, in that troubling verbal exchange, Jesus is actually said to be comparing this woman and her child with dogs, perhaps. And so there's this kind of bold-faced, insulting element here when we read this that is extremely out of character to the Jesus that we've read about before. And it's especially out of character for a Jesus who just in the last section talked about what is clean and unclean, pure and impure, and kind of broke down some of those barriers. So it's a little out of the ordinary to so abruptly switch to a Jesus who is talking about this uh, sense of separation between who is worthy and who is unworthy. And so there are three ways that people tend to think about this story. So I'll give you all three and you can see what makes sense to you in this moment. So the first one is this idea that Jesus is caught in a very human state. He's caught in a lack of compassion state. So this is the idea that the exchange between the woman was ultimately an exchange with a very human Jesus that resulted in Jesus changing his mind and choosing to heal the daughter. And in this theory, the idea is that Jesus was perhaps not initially planning to heal the daughter or perhaps not heal her at that moment, but that this woman's perseverance and her faith actually helped him to change his mind and go ahead and do it. And so I'm going to share a little bit with you from a professor at Luther Seminary, Mark Skinner, and here's what he says. He says, For one thing, in saying, let the children be fed first, Jesus implies that the time is not right. Blessings may come to Gentiles in time, but for now his work is on behalf of the Jews. His answer is not, absolutely not, I will never hear your daughter, but not just yet. And this interpretation seems most in line with the story that Mark tells. It's the strange lack of compassion or imagination on Jesus' part that makes many people resist such a reading. For others, it's difficult to believe that a divine Jesus might be persuaded to change his mind about something, even though there are previous biblical stories of God changing God's mind. Notice, secondly, that what Jesus says in verse 29, he expels the demon because of the reasoning that the woman puts forward. It's because of her logos, her logical argument, that, quote, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Her argument, her logic, her, rhetoric, her rhetorical persuasion is what changes his mind. So there are a lot of scholars that fall into this camp. 
And this is a very valid place to be. It has a lot of backing in uh, Hebrew Bible concepts of God exchanging words with people and then changing the way that God acts. So there's some valid previous biblical history about that. There's also this really appealing idea that Jesus is the part of the Trinity that is perhaps the most human. And in this uh, snappy remark about not healing the daughter because of these scraps from the table, that's actually kind of relatable to perhaps how we are sometimes. So perhaps that's actually a comforting image of Jesus. So that's one way that we can read this story. I'm going to give you the second way. The second way is that this is a satire that is based on old rabbinical arguments and that this is almost a performance art piece for the sake of the people around them. So Jesus is going back and forth with this woman for the benefit of the people around him to see that God's grace and God's love and salvation extends to all. So he is going to go back and forth with this woman perhaps in kind of a bold and dramatic way, and the people around are going to see this expansive love and compassion and grace and salvation. That's idea number two. So again, idea number one, Jesus' mind has changed. Idea number two, this is a performance art piece that is a teaching. And then finally, idea number three is that this is a moment of testimony, that Jesus actually knows that this woman's faith is so completely unshakable and powerful that he's going to just give this as a moment of her testifying in front of whoever might be there and in front of him himself and in front of herself. So some of these are probably going to ring more true to your understanding of God and Jesus in your life and in your faith than others, but there's a nugget of truth in each one. And so I am going to encourage you to think about that throughout this week, and we can certainly talk about it together anytime you want. So those are kind of the three ways that most scholars interpret that text. A final thought regarding this section of chapter 7 that is an interesting way to end that section with wondering again. We started with wondering about how Jesus felt and that desire to escape notice. And we can wonder again at this end of this section, what if he had not healed this girl? For a lot of us, that's the hinge point of our Christian faith is whether or not he would have healed this girl. Because for a lot of us, the idea of God's expansive grace and salvation is so important that if Jesus had not healed this girl, it would have been a really different Christian faith. And so that's another thing to think about. What happened if he hadn't healed the girl? But ultimately that's not the case. He does heal the girl. Jesus heals this girl, and in doing so, he makes really clear that this love and this healing and this grace and compassion and salvation really is for all people, and that is really good news. That is gospel kind of news. So this final section of chapter 7 is Jesus, once again, in this one-to-one healing relationship, and it's, again, a very physical kind of a healing, and so if you remember... Um, in chapter 5, in the middle, when there's that woman who's been hemorrhaging for 18 years, and she goes up and she just touches the hem of Jesus' garment, and he feels that power of healing go out, and that is this one-to-one physical moment in which the healing occurs. And so this is another one of those, in which Jesus is in this one-to-one moment with this man, and so this man who approaches him, he cannot hear, and he has a speech impediment. 
And Jesus heals him in this one-to-one way, not in front of a crowd this time, but off to the side a bit. And Jesus takes his fingers and he touches the man and he spits and he touches his tongue. And then we see him looking up to heaven, which he does a lot. And he has this moment of blessing and transcendent blessing. And here's another thing to wonder about. He sighs. That's a rather human Jesus thing to do, to sigh. And I wonder when you sigh, perhaps when you're tired, perhaps when you're feeling a particularly strong emotion. And so we might think about how that human Jesus in chapter 7 happens all the way through in each of these stories. We have that thread of the humanity of Jesus in there. And then finally at the end, we are reminded of two primary features of the Gospel of Mark, which we have talked about and which have woven their way from the beginning and will to the end. The first is this idea of immediacy. We hear in the Gospel of Mark the most times out of any time in the Gospel the word immediately. And so in this healing of the deaf man, Jesus immediately heals him. And he immediately does a lot of things in the Gospel of Mark. The second primary theme in the Gospel of Mark that weaves its way all the way through and that we see again in this final bit in chapter 7, is the secrecy motif. And that's where Jesus heals and then says, don't tell anybody. And then they immediately tell everybody. And that three-part step, heal, don't tell anybody, they tell everybody, that is really common in the Gospel of Mark. So, to sum it up, we have the Seraphonician woman, and there's three things, maybe there's more, that might have been happening there. Was she testifying... Did she change his mind? Was it a teaching moment and performance art for the people around him? And then Jesus heals the deaf man, and we see two things, one, three things. First, this one-to-one bodily healing, and then these two pieces that are very popular in the Gospel of Mark, immediate healing, as well as this secrecy motif. Heal, don't tell anybody, and they tell everybody. So, now, let's...